I, I want to go back to the debate. You got way too nice, and I just like I don't know <laughs> what happened. You, cro- you crossed the line here. You started agreeing with me. That's not why you're here. So <laughs> the the acronym that you provided in the comments about this question about where does success come from was the acronym of PELT, like, like a fur. Like what you wear, like what you wear in your outer self. The idea of job security is outdated as a landline. If you haven't been in a search for a while, it's probable you will at some point by choice or not. Most executives admit to staying way too long or sense what's coming and justify staying anyway. Here, there's another reason. The faulty belief that navigating to what's next will inevitably be worse and has to suck. Screw that. Lauren Greif has spent a lifetime in corporate and executive search, calling bullshit on stale career advice that most still use. This is Career Blast in a Half. The career podcast for executives ready to cut past outdated career advice to fuel your outcomes now. So let's go. Mm, We've got some fire here today. In fact, I've invited our guest today, Alan Stein, to this conversation for a healthy debate. And right before we started recording, Alan was like rubbing his hands together. He's like, ooh, I love me a healthy debate. I love to get into it and have these juicy discussions. And so here's what we're debating around. The big debate, which by the way, it started on LinkedIn. So these, this is a perfect, perfect example how we take conversations online to offline. Because a relationship can only be so deep online. And I kind of know Alan, I got the privilege of being on his podcast and now I'm quote unquote, returning the favor or getting back at him, however you want to describe that. But the debate is really around where does success come from in your search, in your career? And why is it that some candidates, despite all of their credentials, and all the hallmarks of success, why are they not successful? And why are some others that don't have those kind of uh, expected elements of success, why do they, and why, how, how can they, how do they actually supersede a lot of the other folks that are slated for success? Alan Stein of Kadima, thank you so much for joining Career of Last and a Half today. And could you please do a better job of introducing yourself than I ever could? Sure. Thank you so much, Lauren, for having me on your podcast. And despite our healthy debate on LinkedIn, thank you for not blocking me. I've had <laughs> I've been blocked by about seven to ten other career experts out there when um I, I get a little not not feisty, but like a, a little discussion going about uh disagreements. Um but kudos to you for uh, sticking and jabbing. I appreciate that. A uh, little bit about me. I've ha- I had a 25-year corporate career working at some pretty decent companies. I started on Wall Street. Then I wound up working um, in uh, venture capital and baseball. Then I went back to business school. And after business school, my, my career kind of pivoted. I went to American Express 
leading customer success and business development teams. Then I moved over to Google, leading customer success, operations, sales ops teams. Um, Then I worked at a couple of different startups, including Datadog and a company called Andela. Moved back to big tech at Facebook uh, in a data management operations role. From there, I went to Tableau. And then from Tableau, I went to Salesforce. And when I was at Salesforce, that's when I started Kadima Careers, where we are on a mission to accelerate 1 million careers by 2040. And on a personal note, I live in Brooklyn, New York, with three kids, three birds, two dogs, and one unbelievably supportive wife. Mm. Wow. Okay. A real slacker. So <laughs> thank you for that. I appreciate that. And, you know, you, you, humbly or in a very tongue in cheek way said, you know, works for, works for a few companies. And, um, you know, one of the things that you've been very public about, Alan, and one of the things I would love for you to share is, you know, this looks really successful, right? Anybody that works at Google is like, you know, we have this understanding that they, you know, they've arrived, you know, Oh, I work at Google. But you also had a pretty expensive, I don't know what you might call it, um, turn of events that happened at Google. And the reason why I bring this up is not, is not to make you feel uncomfortable. I think it's one of the most valuable pieces of, of your story that other people can benefit from because after all, we're talking about what makes some candidates more successful than others. And you could have all of these things, but that does not guarantee any outcome. And so could you share this backstory of what we're alluding to and put the dollar figure out there? Cause I know you and you figured it out. So shed some light. Yeah. So I've been, um, I've worked for 21 companies. I've had 29 jobs. I left 24 out of those 29 jobs on my own volition. The other five I got fired from or, uh, or asked to leave or, however, or, t- or terminated or whatever you want to call it. Google was one of them where I let my emotions get the worst of me. I said something in, in a one-on-one meeting with somebody about another employee that I should not have out of frustration. And despite my previous stellar track record at Google, where I just won the Google Great Manager of the Year Award and other accolades getting promoted and so forth. Because I let my emotions get the worst of me, I blurted something out in a one-on-one conversation. I apologized for it. I admitted it. That didn't matter. Um, After an investigation was done, I was walked out of the building and I lost a significant amount of compensation. Google was paying me north of a half mil a year, and I had a lot of unvested RSUs, restricted stock units, which would have been worth quite a lot if um, I was able to cash those in. So um, that's a short end. Uh, That's a short story of what happened there. But it was a good learning moment, a very expensive learning moment at that. And so how is it that you are able to share this story? with a level of humility and vulnerability and shame-free. How are you able to do that 
and offer that up to other people because I'm sure you see it and I do too. People are let go and and it feels like the sky is falling and this is the end. And here you are basically putting this out there in such a transparent and honorable way that I think, you know, I, I mean, what was it like over the past couple of years, like 40 million people were, were let go. And I mean, we have a lot of clients that have been let go more than once over these three years. I'm sure that that's not an anomaly either. So, I mean, I know we're talking about success, but I what I'm also offering here is that there's a lot of success in being able to overcome what can feel like a lack of success. So, how 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 are you doing this? I mean, is really the short the, the short question. Yeah, I think after I've been uh, canned a few times, I kind of got a little numb to it. Also, I've been in discussions where we've had to fire employees and I've fired, um, terminated, displaced, um, uh, reshaped, depending on what euphemism, depending on what company, they have different euphemisms for a pink slip. So I've seen enough of it. And I also fully understand that we are all employed at will. Unless you are a union employee, unless you're a tenured professor, maybe there's a couple of other things out there that are protected. Every employee is employed at will, or at least in the US and most other countries. So I've seen lots of people lose their job for sometimes justified reasons, sometimes politics, sometimes they messed up. Sometimes it was not deserved. So it's not a reflection on me necessarily, although um, there's things that I could have done differently in each of the five situations. Um, It's just a fact of life. And it doesn't, uh, like, I don't feel any personal identity to those organizations. I use those logos to my advantage, like having Google on my resume and my LinkedIn does give me a level of authority and um, uh, people like appreciate that. So I I use the positive and I got a lot out of Google. I have lots of great friends. I just was on a call with a former colleague earlier today. So I've gotten a lot out of Google. So I appreciate them. I I still recommend them as one of the best places to work. And um, yeah, it's it's just a course of life. And, and, And also I saw my dad, when he lost his job, he was at the same company for 38 years. So unlike me, who's been at 21 companies in my career, he was at one company basically his whole life. And when he lost his job, he didn't know what to do. And he never wound up getting another job. And mm. it wound up causing a lot of tension between my mom and him. And they wound up getting divorced after 34 years together. <laughs> um probably like there are probably other things at play, but definitely the stress of losing the job did not help things. Mm. Wow. That's, that's a really insightful and on also uh, candid appreciation for, for what it gave you and what it taught you. And of course your ability to be so helpful and empathetic to other people in both uh, you know, let's, you know, let's, let's address this and let's not let us, you know, let it hold you back. Well, actually, I don't think I'm as empathetic as I can come can be, because I just look at it as, hey, 
That's just your just, career. I, that just right. happened. And I, I, I've been critiqued, rightfully so, is that I'm not necessarily expressing the empathy that people go through when they have these um, job layoffs or um, rifts or whatever, because I'm like, hey, shake it off, move on. That's right. how I deal with it. But I know not everybody does deal with it. So um, I, I'm I working think, on that. I, I think that some of it, even though you're playing the tough guy, I get it. But I also think that there is a, a level of humanity around it. Maybe it's not empathy or, you know, the, the dialed up version. But I, I definitely don't hear you saying like, suck it up and put your big girl pants on and like, you know, <laughs> get out there and go fight win, you know? So I think that it, it's coming across is what I'm saying. So well, I, that's I, what I think, but I would try not to say that because that doesn't work for everybody. But when I've, when I got fired from Google, the first call I made, well, the first call was to my wife <laughs> and the second good. call was to a mentor of mine. I was like, Hey dude, um, I just got canned. Do you, have, do you know any roles that I can be <laughs> looking at? And he actually set me up with a few different opportunities. So that's how I dealt with it. But I, I know I'm a little unusual in that way. Okay. Time to roll up your sleeves. So let's get into the debate here. I don't want to keep anybody waiting, especially you, because I can see you like got the, got the gloves on and the whole business. So here we go. Okay. The question again is, where does success come from in your career? And before we get into that, define your Alan Stein version of what success even means, because I'm not so sure we have the same one. Yeah. So that, that's a good question of what success is. I, I think success or ha and success and happiness, uh, sometimes I see similarly. And someone said once that, I don't know if happiness or success is uh, expectation or, or reality minus expectation. So mm -hmm. if your reality is above what you're expecting, you're generally happy and feel successful. If what you're expecting, though, is higher than what your reality is, then you're in a place of wanting and feel mm -hmm. unsuccessful. So, you know, I can't define people's success, whether it's marriage or children or money or freedom. Well, like I think there's some, there's probably a high degree of elements in all of that. Mm -hmm. I can't just define people's success. Like right now, I have yet to take a paycheck at Academic Careers three years in, and people come to me and say, Oh, how have you become so successful? I was like, Well, I don't know how you deem success. Like, I, I think there are some things that we're doing well, but some things that we're looking to improve upon. I, I, but I generally feel pretty successful in my career because for the most part, I've been able to set goals, put a plan in place, and then achieve those, not only with myself, and we'll talk about that as we talk about the ingredients of success. But um, yeah, I think it's uh, actual results, less like minus expectations. And if that's in a positive number, people feel successful. And I, I don't think anyone else can define success. Like people might think Elon Musk is really successful because he's the richest person in the world. But if you see how he reacted a couple of weeks ago to an interview, or if you see how he trolls Kara Swisher on X and other things. Is that his way a successful person acts? I, I don't know. 
So how, I mean, you and I, we, we talk to people all day long about their careers. And so when people are talking about, I want to be successful in my career, I want to be successful in my job search, certainly, you know, the outcome is in the eyes of the beholder, right? Your success formula or outcome is that's on you, right? You get to define that. I'm going to, I'm going to answer my own question because it's my party and I can cry if I want to. (laughs) Here it goes. I'm going to go back to this icky guy thing, right? Which is this Japanese four circles overlapping and the sweet spot in the middle is essentially your holy grail, right? Like that's like the thing. And the four circles are what you love, what you're good at, what the world needs, and what's going to make you money. Yeah. And in those overlapping areas, if you look at this, these visuals, you'll see like, ooh, this one, when they overlap here, that's a vocation. Ooh, over here, this one is like, this is your passion. You know, some of them, and when you're striking across the board, that icky guy in my world is basically, I'm in flow. I am skipping to work on Monday. I am excited about the future of what I get to impact. I am building other people up. I am a, a, a cacophony of other things, but also it's a feeling. Success is a feeling. It's not a paycheck. Success is a feeling that I am both being challenged and I am also thriving in my competency. So it's that push pull between, okay, like I'm not bored. I mean, I'm, I'm, but I'm also not hyperventilating or, you know, treading water. Like that's not fun. I, I am at that, at that edge of where I go to work and I'm able to expand, but I'm also in a place where I am encouraged to do more of it. So there's a lot and lot of layers. And what I really want to ask you is how does somebody get to either the place that you described or even to the place that I've depicted? I I love the concept of Ikigai. And that that used to be my LinkedIn bio that I kind of finally found it here, but it took me 47 years uh, until I developed uh, Kadima. And what I happen to be really good at, what I enjoy doing, what the world needs, and what I can make money in is I am damn good at accelerating careers. And I've always, whatever, I'm very good at setting goals and achieving those goals. And I can help other people do that as well. Previously in my life, I went to a social worker, a career coach, and I thought that my passion was uh, fantasy baseball because I was really big into fantasy baseball. I would be managing nine teams. And that kind of led me to go into a path of working in baseball for a year, thinking that I was going to be a general manager of the New York Mets or something like that. I learned quickly that I wasn't as passionate about it because once I got into it, it wasn't as thrilling working those hours and getting the little pay. 
So, um, I, you know, I, I think I've been fortunate through all my experiences in the 47 years. Now I'm 50, but like I've been doing Kadima for three years, for one and a half years while at Salesforce and then two years beyond of uh, finding my Ikigai. Like, and I think that like, if you look in Wikipedia, it will also use the term raison d'etre, like the reason for living. And I, I'm working more hours than I've ever worked before getting paid less than I've ever gotten paid before. And I, I'm not skipping to work because I have a, uh, a bruised toe right now, but I do get up in the morning at five 30 in the morning, take the dogs out. I get on the exercise bike and I'm on the exercise bike. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm answering my emails. I'm enjoying that. And that, that bike ride on the, the hour bike ride flies by because I'm enjoying what I'm doing. And then talking to people like you talking to clients and giving free advice out like at parties, I, I'm very popular at parties and <laughs> everyone, like everyone has a career question. So they're always coming up to me. Mm. Something to it, right? Yeah. Talk to us about this little acronym. Okay. Cause I, I want to go back to the debate. You got way too nice. And I just like, I don't <laughs> know what happened. You, cro- you crossed the line here. You started agreeing with me. That's not why you're here. So <laughs> the, the acronym that, you provided in the comments about this question about where does success come from was the acronym of pelt, like like a fur pelt. Like what you wear. Right. Right. Like what you wear on your outer self. Yeah. Okay. So now break down each one of those initials. What do the what does the P stand for? Yeah. So I, I believe that, like we talked about what success is, but then the pelt is what helps to create that success. And what I think it is, and is a combination of privilege, uh, like, and we can talk about the privilege. I, I'm a white dude born in America and I'm Jewish. So I, I was born in 1973 and not 1933, which would have been very different. Although now we can talk about the Jewish experience now in this um, the world. But um, so I have a privilege. Then there's an effort. So you can't just get stuff without putting in the work. So the E is for effort. And you need to do some stuff to achieve, like leverage the other things in order to get what you want in life. The L is luck. A lot mm. of things, like if you look back to how I got my Google job, um, it was luck. It was, I was having beers with a buddy and mm. he happened to be friends with a director at Google. And he's like, Hey, you want me to put you in touch with my friend, Ben? And then that set off like the opportunity for me to interview at Google after five rejections prior. Then the T is, um, talent. The T mm. is talent. So there are some things that I'm naturally talented at. I will never be a basketball player, not just because I'm five foot eight and a half, but because I just don't have a good shot. I can't dribble with my left hand. I guess I can learn that, but it's not like a naturally born gift. My talent, I'm very good with analytics. I taught myself Mm. spreadsheets when I was 10. I'm very analytically driven. I have some other talents. Like I'm a very quick thinker. If anything, it works against me sometimes, but um yeah, like you have talents that you're born with. And Tiger Woods, like he was playing golf as like a two-year-old 
And yeah, his dad took him in his garage and played with him. But there's something innately there, in addition to his effort, in addition to the privilege um, that allowed him to be a world-class golfer. So, I, And I don't know which one is more important. Like, I'm not like 25% of each of them. But I think all of our success has to be attributed to one of those four things or more likely a combination of those four things. All right. I see your stance. <laughs> yeah, I, I'd love to hear your opinion on this. I know we battled a little, like not battled. We we uh, disagreed a little bit in the comments on LinkedIn, which actually is very healthy. And I wish LinkedIn actually did that more. But everyone's like, oh, great idea. Oh, congratulations. Right. Blah, right. blah, blah. Yeah. It's the stroking club. So <laughs> I'm going to... um go in a little bit of a different direction and I stand by this. So I, I'm not just doing this to counter you. I'm doing it because I think it's, it's very simple. <laughs> Sorry. It's very simple, but it's not necessarily easy. And it's not necessarily easy, easy to execute. My rub on success is that success doesn't take long and success isn't hard, but success takes courage. And the reason why I attest to this and am putting some of the other pieces of your acronym aside is because we have all met people that don't fit any of those criteria. They have no privilege. They have literally no talent. But they put themselves in situations where they are they are not taking no for an answer. Right. And they are they are dogged about following through with whatever it is and taking a lot of risk and, and exercising a lot of courage along the way. And the reason why I lean so much into that is because in today's job market there's a lot of people that are missing X or Y or don't come from, you know, the backgrounds or the pedigree that these companies are going for. And more on the middle level management areas, you know, skills-based hiring, skills-based hiring, right? Now it's like, you know, you don't have a degree? Like, great. Like, we don't care. You're cool. You're going to do it. You, You have some balls. Let's go. So a lot of that is being overcome by those who are able to demonstrate a level of courage that says, I don't care that I don't have it. <laughs> you're, you're, the, you're the loser if you don't hire me, because I'm going to be able to outperform people that are coming with all of this stuff and maybe even you know chewing on that silver spoon thinking, I deserve it. So that grit also has a tremendous, a tremendous amount of of traction in the marketplace, I like to also refer to this as spiritual sandpaper, right? So, you know, these things that have been difficult also have the ability to soften others who get to see that you are overcoming whatever those XYZ outside circumstances are. And they say, you know what? This person's got moxie. This person's got like the the deal. And I don't have to pander to, 
you know, this person's ego or anything like that, because those humble beginnings, man, that that's what I want. And I want to actually be around that person because they are not looking to take advantage of a policy and they are not, and they are wanting to help other people who have also been, you know, in that, in that place where they didn't necessarily have all that, but get to actually impact a bigger, a bigger opportunity. So that's, that's my stance on it. And I really, I really believe, especially in this marketplace, that I'd like to think that there's going to be more democratization around candidates that are representative of a more holistic impact or or or, or person in the organization versus respectfully more lookalikes. I don't want more lookalikes. I don't want more like ching ching, you know, you're you're in this cookie cutter and, you know, let me add a little sprinkle to you and pretend that you're not a different cookie. <laughs> well, I, I would like that too. I would like the world to be a meritocracy. That has never been the world in my life. I don't anticipate that changing any. I think AI actually has an interesting way to potentially improve that, but let's not go down that rabbit hole. But I think it would be lovely for people to be picked based on their skills and based on their talents. There happen to be a lot of talented individuals for roles and opportunities. And there's hundreds, if not thousands of applications that come in. And what makes one stand out from the other is either do they get referred in? And that's like knowing who, um, knowing someone. And you are born. Uh, well, you have a network, but you can expand that network. That's where I think the effort comes in. That's where I think you can change the mold. So if you are someone, like, our success or success or monetary gains is very highly determined by the zip code that we're born in. I had no control that I was born in 11566. I don't know what zip code you were in. I'm guessing it was a decent zip code. Um, and but we could have been born in Kenya or we mm-hmm. could have been born in India and nothing wrong with those countries but it would be much less likely that we would have the whatever you call what we have now um so i think a lot of it does come down to the luck and i think for us to hope that people the decision makers will be more meritocratic uh, mer- meritocratic <laughs> mer- meritocratic <laughs> or uh, like to, to to be more um logical with their decision making that's not how decisions are made why is i don't want to get into politics but like like you look at politics and you look at like how decisions are made and it's not because the smartest person or the most rational person or the person with the best ideas wins there's different reasons that people win so yes it would be lovely if that's the case and i do think when you talk about courage I think that is a big thing and like the ability to overcome fear and to take that risk and to apply for jobs that you see out of the 10 uh, job requirements, you can only do three of them. And you're like, fine, I'll figure out the other seven. Um, so I, it's a long winded answer. So I, I don't disagree that courage and you mentioned grit also, and I'm a 
big fan of Angela Duckworth and grit and there's something there like like there's some people that that are more uh, tenacious and the tenacity serves everybody well because you're going to fail so often in life and it's how we choose to deal with those failures but some of that is based on our background like so yeah this is this is not um i mean while we're having this healthy debate i don't think there's a loser or a winner i think that there's I don't know if we're I don't know if we're debating. I'm debating that we're debating. I think we're in agreement. <laughs> I just don't have the word courage in pelt because then it would spell klept and it doesn't sound as good. Well, but, I think um, that, I mean there's one example that I do want to um speak to uh, that happened with a, a client of mine that was very intimidated by the fact that there were a thousand applications um in queue for a CMO position at a coveted sustainability company competitive to Patagonia. And um, she wanted this position really badly. I mean, like so badly. And I had this idea that she should actually create a video where she is out in the wild, no makeup, no nothing, and tell this company why she wants to work for them and said it to the CEO. And she did. And she jumped over 999 candidates and made it into the final round, one of two. And, I mean, talk about some serious guts. And she was, like, sweaty, gritty, and, like, the whole thing. And they ate it up. Yeah. They freaking ate it up. And that position, she did not land. But what she did feel really good about, which is going back to the success, is she didn't bail on herself. Yeah. And she also did not come from retail. She did not have the background. And she like laid it all out there. She's like, and by the way, you know, I'm not coming from retail. I'm coming from, you know, hospitality. And just, just so you know, like, like, there was no, she was not pulling any punches whatsoever. And they literally, the Red Sea parted and they made, and they made it clear that it was that bold move, that act of courage, that w- that's what cut through. So it's not like it all ended up all neat and tidy. And I'm not going to tell you like it was perfect, but what I am going to tell you is it gave her a lot more courage to do more other things from that point on. And I think courage can be contagious, both in terms of what it, what it does for ourselves. Like you did it once, you could do it again. And then also as permission to other people to exercise their own version of courage. I, I think that's an awesome story and it is very courageous. So we might just be arguing about the nomenclature rather than what the person did. But this person, like, and, and this person was a client of yours, right? So this was like under your guidance and you're like, hey, let, let's try this. Let's throw this Hail Mary out there. And so she happened to like meet you. So there was some luck there, how this woman mm-hmm. met you and had you as a coach. And then her effort of like taking, like having the balls to do what she did, um, put in the effort to videotape this. And I bet she edited it a little. She probably filmed multiple times. No, just the first one. 
First one, one and done. Okay. So maybe, she, but um, okay. So that's a bad example. But, <laughs> no, but so you, maybe but, she put in no effort. My hunch is she put effort in somewhere. Yes, I mean the yeah. fact that she just did it was an effort in and of itself. Yeah. So you're a hundred percent right. And, and then she gets down to the final round. So she was able to get out of the pile of a thousand applicants for this very prized position. And maybe she was competing against someone, the former CMO of Patagonia. You said it wasn't Patagonia, but like, right. or it could have been the CEO's daughter, or right. it could have been a, a diversity hire. And they're like, hey, they're both really good. And let's go to the diverse uh, individual. So totally. at that point that she got to the finals, then it's like she put her best effort in. I bet she prepared for the interviews. Oh, yeah. She put effort in. So, um, so then it came down to luck at the end. She 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 brought her A game. The other person um, brought their A game, and then like if it was a different time and they didn't have that other candidate, your client would have had that job. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So whether it's courage, anyway, I think we're like battling nomenclature yeah. more we're, than we're, we're we're just we're going to keep the title, but we're going to take the sting out of it. Yeah. All right. But um, <laughs> but I bet that client impressed the people that she met with, and if not that role. If some other role comes up within the organization, I'm sure she would be on the very short list. You just nailed it because Boston Consulting Group was behind the decision and they were blown away. And then from there, they have now created other partnerships and other opportunities for yeah. her. So exactly. you're 100% right. All right. Exactly. I want to turn this I want to turn this over to some fun. Not that we haven't had yeah, you know, I asked these so three signature questions so far. Sorry, go ahead. Okay, the, I asked these three signature questions at the end of these interviews because they're. I think they're fun. Uh, our listeners think they're fun. So if you don't think they're fun, listeners, let us know. <laughs> so the first one is Alan Stein. Let's like get your take on what post-it should we put a pelt post-it on our desktop or somewhere nearby. What would you suggest that we do when we want to keep our mindset and or thoughts about our career in a place of forward thinking success? So the three words that I always repeat, and this is a hashtag I put all over LinkedIn, is own your career. Mm. So whatever you just like, just own the decision, choose your path. And like, that's all I ask of. So yeah, like we're born with the P and the L you can't really control for. The P, the L, and the T you can't really control for. The E, the effort, own it. Take some proactive approach, like figure out where you want to go rather than let the world happen to you. Amen. Preach on that. Yeah. Books. What's your, what is, I mean, you're kind of like a book nerd, like I'm a book yeah. nerd. Yeah, so I know we both are like, Ooh, look, yeah. look at mine, look at mine. So what is your, what is your, the book that has perhaps most inspired your success? Um, there's a few. Can I say a few? Go for it. Okay. Um, Influence by Dr. Mm -hmm. Robert Cialdini. There are seven key factors. I think there's an eighth actually, like I, I have emailed him and he's actually been very communicative because mm. I do think nostalgia is also a way to influence people. And I don't know what, what that ties into to the seven things of influence, but influence is one good one. And Dale Carnegie's book, how to win friends and influence people. 
Um, and then um, there's three negotiation books that I like, and I don't have a favorite of them. Most people like Chris Voss's book, uh, Never Split the Difference. That's a good book. Um, Stuart Diamond, it's a less, lesser known book, but it's Get More. He used mm. to be a, a sales coach of Googlers, and he's a professor at, I think, Warden. And then the other one is Getting to Yes, which is a seminal book that I learned in business school. And that helped me save $50,000 on our house just through negotiating. So I got $50,000 payback for my MBA, although I could have just bought the book for 14 bucks. That's a good one. Thank you. I, I, I have a couple of titles there that I do not have. So that's really excellent. I always yeah. love that. And the last question is, what's your walk-up song? Um, no Sleep Till Brooklyn by the Beastie Boys. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I, yeah, that or, um, yeah, no, we'll go with that. Yeah, just like keep it clean, young man. Yeah, I no, like it wasn't clean. It was just, um, I was gonna say Back in Black by ACDC, but I think No Sleep Till Brooklyn, the Beastie Boys are from Brooklyn, they're also Jewish like me. Um, so it's more aligned than uh, Angus Young and ACDC, but I do like ACDC as well. I want to thank you. I want to thank you for being so spirited. Um, and not contentious, at least I don't find you to be that way. I, I didn't think we were like, going to debate at all. I, I, I'm I debating that we debated. I, I, I meant just in general, like you said, that some of the other coaches like, yeah. like kind of kicked you out of their, their fan club. Yeah. And, and really, for all the people that you help, that you've helped this year as part of your mission to reach in 2040, and, uh, you know, a, I just wish you peace, peace on earth and good things your way to you, your family, your birds, your dogs, your cats, your wife, everybody. I wish we had cats because then we wouldn't have birds. But we don't have oh, cats. Okay. <laughs> all, the, all the animals. And thank you, listeners. Thank you so much for everything that you have done to support Career Blast and a Half. We're, we're not even one year old. We're over 104 or five ratings on Apple Podcasts. We have lots and lots and lots of great guests coming in 2024, and things are getting really, really hot in here. And I'm so happy about it because this is a love for us. So if you love it too, please write a review on Apple and please go find Alan Stein on LinkedIn or Kadima Careers. And that's where I'll be too on LinkedIn. Or our podcast. They should listen to the podcast oh, when you right. were on my on the oh, Sick right. Career podcast. We'll we'll put that we'll put that in the show notes too. So yeah. thanks again, you guys and have and women, and have a wonderful rest of your day and whatever is remaining for this year. Bye. The idea of job security is outdated as a landline. If you haven't been in a search for a while, it's probable you will at some point by choice or not. Most executives admit to staying way too long or sense what's coming and justify staying anyway. Here, there's another reason. The faulty belief that navigating to what's next will inevitably be worse and has to suck. Screw that. Lauren Greif has spent a lifetime in corporate and executive search, calling bullshit on stale career advice that most still use. This is Career Blast in a Half. The career podcast for executives ready to cut past outdated career advice to fuel your outcomes now. So let's go. 